All right. Well, it's good to see all you folks, especially our visitors. We have so many today. It's a good, good full house. I love that. We're, we're getting ready to really dig into the book of First Corinthians. Um, I've got a whole bunch here for you. Slides will... It's been a little bit more challenging for me to take my notes and put them in a PowerPoint without overwhelming you, but I thought it'd be important to give you some background. I'm going to take you on a journey this morning. Um, hopefully, by the grace of God, I can articulate it in a way that will help you to kind of really give you a picture of what's going on and how the birth of the Corinthian church took place, what God did um, through Paul, how it all worked out. Um, it's pretty fascinating to me. Um, again, uh, how we study this will be will vary. There's going to be times where we're going to exposit verse by verse, and there's other times we're just going to be hitting a topic, a subject maybe in an entire chapter, and try to cover that entire chapter. But as I get into it, you know, I'll, I'll be like, oh, I just want to hit this verse, and then I'll get to the next verse. Like, oh, I can't pass on that verse. I got to hit that verse too. That you know, to put some sense to the entire to the chapter and, and to the book itself. So this book is loaded. Now, I know a lot of people understand it as the uh, How to Behave in the House of God book, and it's taking the world out of uh, Christians that were just born again and how God worked through them. And, you know, as I read through Corinthians, they got a ton of problems, everything from divisions to fornication to they had all kinds of issues with understanding doctrine. And, and you know, I thought to myself, like, you know, okay, this is almost 2,000 years ago, but some things haven't changed. Churches st struggle with the same things today, marriage and divorce. They struggle with factions and divisions and, and questions about doctrine. And you know how many people come into the church that are, 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 are immature or spiritually babes in Christ that, that need to understand how to live and how to behave in the house of God? So the Corinthians, a phenomenal book for us, no matter how old or how long we've been saved, it's still good to be let's say, presented to us that help us, remind us of what our responsibilities are and what God is doing in the church. Because it just hasn't changed. And um, I think that's why it's so important that we study it. In this 16 chapters, it's the longest of Paul's um, letters. And, um, but I think you'll find it fascinating how God worked things out to, to bring forth the Corinthian church, which you'll want a little understand about Corinth here in a few minutes about how wicked and vile this city was. But with that said, let's get this thing kicked off. Okay. At some point, we'll get it kicked off. All right, here we go. Um, no, next slide. That's all right. We'll just, this thing, this was our last slide. We, we kind of introduced this. This is some of the things that, you know, you're going to, we're going to deal with um, as we go through the book of um, Corinthians. You can see the problems, the pressures, the struggles of the church especially coming out of a pagan society and uh, the things that they, that they understood. You know, the longer you're in the world, the more God has to work in that process of taking the world out of you. And some of us forget that. We've been saved a long time. We forgot all that journey that God's taken us through, all the peaks and valleys of God purging us of things in our life that sometimes are represented here. Um, I, I love it when folks get saved and they get spiritually minded right away but that let's just face it that's not all that's a lot of us didn't it didn't go that way for us and some of us are still and always will be a work in progress by the grace of God but I'm talking about real immature you know real fleshly carnal uh type um thinking is how's the lights everything good you good all right I feel like yeah it's a light show going on so this is a busy slide 
Um, don't, don't get overwhelmed. I got a cleaned up version here for you in a minute. But I just, that red line there you see is Paul's second missionary journey. You know what, as I looked at that, of course, you look at Asia and the, the seven churches that are found in the book of Revelation, by the way, are all in that area. But you can see all the churches as you read through the book of Acts and then you read through the epistles of Paul. And, and you, you see all the different churches. This is his second journey. He had three journeys before he was arrested, thrown into, in, into jail. But, you know, there's a lot going on, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you through a journey, not through that whole thing, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of walk you through a little bit about how we ended up in Corinth. And we're going to pick up, um, which, by the way, began in 51 AD. You can read about this in Acts 17, 18, and 19. This is a cleaned up version. How's that? It's a little easier to understand, but um, I don't have a pointer there. But if you'll look up at the top part of this uh, slide here, you'll see Thessalonica. Um, we'll I'll, I'll take you from there because um, Paul was preaching the gospel and, um, in Thessalonica, and he co was confronted by a lot of angry Jewish people. You've got to keep in mind that the Jewish people, especially the leaders, the religious leaders of that day, by preaching the gospel, he was destroying their work and their life. So as a Jew who was religious, who was leading the synagogue, this was turning their world upside down, and they didn't like that. Preaching Jesus to them was just, it was, it was um, threatening, life-threatening to them. So here's Paul. He's preaching the gospel. He's got the Jews stirred up. They stir up the people and Paul becomes a target of persecution. Now, he's been a target, but he becomes a major, major target in Thessalonica, but he escapes by the grace of God. Before he escapes, though, many of the believers in Thessalonica suffered physical persecution at the hands of those Jews as a result of Paul preaching and them getting saved. So Paul hikes it out of town, smart on his part. God spares him from any of that persecution. He ends up in Berea. Now, those of you familiar with Acts chapter 17, that, that verse we often quote is those, th those in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica. It, why? In that they searched the scriptures daily to see whether the things were true or not. What that's telling me is the people in Berea already had, were grounded in the Old Testament. They were students of the Old Testament. Paul shows up and guess what? He preaches them about God's revelation and what Jesus Christ has done for them. And that stirs the pot. So much so that word gets back into Thessalonica to those Jews that opposed him and were persecuting the, the Christians that remained there. They head down to Berea to go after Paul again. I mean, they, Paul just trouble followed Paul everywhere he went. And you'll, this is important to understand when he gets to Corinth, what happens. So in Berea, he doesn't spend much time there because the Jews are after him and they stir up the people in Berea. So what he does is, once again, he escapes with no persecution, and he heads down to Athens. Now, Athens is about a one or day two trip when he's there. He doesn't spend much time there, which is interesting. But when he gets to Athens, he looks out at the whole city, and it says that his spirit was stirred. Why? Because the whole city was given to adultery, wholly given to idolatry. Does that sound any different than any city we see today? Everywhere we look, idolatry, the people worshiping of money, their homes, their cars, themselves, I mean, the movies, uh, you know, entertainment, whatever it may be, sports, we see it everywhere. But Paul saw it, and he was stirred. 
How about us? Do we get stirred anymore? When we see, when we look at it and we, we see the a world that's just dying without Christ. Well, he was stirred in his spirit. And he, he runs into it. We'll just call this the marketplace, the central place of, of Athens. And there were a bunch of philosophers there, Epicureans and Stoics. There were also some Athenians, as they called them, and strangers. And they all sat around and they all talked about nothing. But they all felt like they were something. It sounds a lot like what we see today in our educational system. People think they're something when they're nothing without God. And that's what God's going to declare in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He said, you think you're wise? You better become a fool. Because the wisdom of this world is foolishness unto God. And he proves that over and over. But Paul's dealing with those kind of individuals. So the mindset is Greek philosophy was mainstream. Their ideology, their value system, everything was godless. And he hits that city, gets in the midst of those people. He sees an altar that says they worship an unknown God. He's stirred up. He preaches the gospel to a known God, one that you can have a personal relationship with. And, of course, this stirs the pot again. Anytime you preach the gospel, anytime you teach the word of God, you're going to stir people one way or the other. Now, it's said here in, in Acts chapter 17 that some people believed while others didn't. Of course, the ones that don't like to stir up the pot. They stir the trouble. So Paul books it out of Athens. That's three cities he spends a little time with, and boom, he's gone. But he gets to Corinth. Now, you know his mindset is no different than it was in Thessalonica, Berea. I'm going to preach a little gospel, then I'm out of here. But God's going to change that. God has a plan here, and it's by divine providence. I believe that God does everything. There's, okay, personally, if you read Scripture long enough, you'll come to the conclusion nothing is coincidence. You ever heard, uh, you know, just lucky or down on your luck or you're a lucky person or you ran into that person that was lucky? There's no such thing, personally, I'm speaking. You know, actually the root word for lucky comes from Lucifer. You know who Lucifer is? So, not so lucky. I'm careful with that word. Oh, you're lucky. No. Divine providence. You're going to see this here as this unfolds. Now, Paul heads to Corinth after maybe two days max in Athens of preaching the gospel. Some folks get it. Some folks don't, like it's always going to be. And so we see the birth of the Corinthian church. It starts out with Paul. This is, again, divine providence, the hand of God directing traffic. Now, he doesn't control you like a robot. He gives you that will. But in, you can see God setting things up. Have you ever looked back in your life and you go, wow, I've seen the hand of God? How many times, I mean, I could tell you story after story, testimony of how I didn't see it at the time, but I looked back and I saw God was all over that. And even though I wasn't happy about what was happening, God had a plan putting me where I was. So that's how God works. And here, he meets two people by the name of Aquila, Aquila and Priscilla. It happens to be they're tent makers, and Paul's a tent maker. Did you know that Paul worked his ministry? He did, he did for a lot of for testimony's sake. He did not have to work, but he did it for testimony because people had questioned his apostleship and his servant of the Lord. So he showed them that he worked and labored while he ministered. So he ends up meeting two other that are like-minded. God has a way of bringing people that are like-minded that share a common bomb. Sometimes when they're you're saved, someone's not saved, you have a common bond. You know why God brings that? So you can minister to them. 
and help them. And, and there's a, re, a relationship is begun. And here, it's obviously Paul's going to teach Aquila and Priscilla. You'll see why later. But he grounds them in the truth. But Aquila and Priscilla were Jewish Christians. The reason why they're in Corinth is because they were in Rome. But Claudius, the emperor Claudius, was persecuting Jews and Christians and basically had expelled the Jews from Rome, and they fled like refuge. You see that around the world today. People are fleeing their countries for persecution. And they, and they end up in other cities, and of course that's how we see cities grow and change. But this is two Jewish people that end up in Corinth who were from Rome as a result of being expelled and persecuted. It's not coincidence that Paul meets up with them and is able to teach them because they're going to have an impact on somebody's life in the future, and you'll see that as we talk more about this. Two other individuals, I call them the assistants of Paul, Silas and Timothy. So when you read the books of 1st and 2nd Timothy, you'll see the word Silvanus. Uh, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, the servants of the Lord. That's how he introduces the two books, right? Silvanus is Silas. It's just another word for it. So Silas and Timothy, the assistants of Paul, are often accompanying him as he preaches the word of God, as he, as he goes into the synagogues. These two individuals are often found with Paul, helping him. Every good uh, Christian needs a good friend, Christian friend, to help support them. Iron sharpeneth iron. And that's true with even Paul, the apostle, who had direct revelation from God. So, but Paul goes into the synagogue. That's where he always went. By the way, Paul's heart was always for the Jew. Isn't it interesting that God calls him to be apostle to the Gentiles? But he's a Jew. His heart, he, he writes in Romans 9, and I've always been, it's been profound to me that he says that, I wish I were accursed for my kinsmen's sake. I would be separated from Christ if they would all get saved. Imagine having that heart, that desire. And Paul was, Paul was a little bit so stirred up without the Jews, he, he actually went against the Holy Spirit's direction and he, later on in his ministry to go down to Jerusalem when he was really not supposed to go there. He ends up getting arrested, all that stuff. So, um, but Paul had a heart for the Jews, but when he got to Corinth, or yeah, Corinth, he, he ends up preaching in the synagogue with Silas and Timothy. And those Jews, like in the other areas, most of them oppose him. He's constantly being opposed. I don't know about you, but you take enough no's and enough opposition, it's so easy to say, I've had enough. I'm just not going to do it anymore. But in Paul's case, he did exactly that. He's fed up with the Jews. He's fed up with their rejection. And this is what he says. It's very similar to what you read in Matthew 10 when Jesus said, go into the city, preach the gospel of the kingdom, Okay? He says if they reject you, what are you supposed to do? The dust off your feet and move on. Now that's hard for us. We don't know when and how to do that sometimes. Sometimes we're casting our pearls before swine too much. We've got to move on. In Paul's case, he said that's enough. I've had enough. I'm not going to preach to these Jews right now. It's like everywhere else. They just they pose him because their livelihood was being threatened. Think about their whole life was about Jehovah God and teaching and leading people. Now someone's come in and that whole thing has been turned upside down. You lose your whole ministry. You lose all your leadership, all your power. Your whole life's work is turned upside down. But 
That's the way God works sometimes. In Paul's case, that's exactly what happened. If you read, uh, was it Philippians or Colossians chapter 2? He said everything is, you know, his resume of resumes for a Jew. He said, I consider it dung, cow manure. It's worthless. Because God turned it all upside down. But Paul, God used Paul in a great and mighty way. This is what he says in Acts, verse 6. I am clean. Okay, I've preached the gospel. I've given you a clear testimony. I'm going now to the Gentiles. Something's about to change in a major way. I'm going to the Gentiles. I'm done with you. And that's exactly. But trust me, Paul had no desire to stay in Corinth. You're going to see this here in the next verse. Paul's desire, I preach, okay, I'm ready to bail, I'm on to the next city. But God intervened. This is so much so that God had to personally intervene in Paul's life. Now, I don't know how God intervenes in our lives all the time. There's no way to be able to put all that together. But sometimes it's a sickness, sometimes it's an accident, sometimes it's a, a, an issue with another family member. But God has a way of keeping us where he needs us. I have a testimony about that. When I was retiring, the last thing on my mind was coming back to Florida. No, no offense, folks. I love you folks. I really do. But I just, I had 17 years here, did ministry. I was, I was like parking it where I was. I'd moved all my life, all of these cities, and I was ready to settle. And my idea was, I'm not going to Florida and Eileen's like, well, we got to help your sister find a condo. And one thing led to another. God started to press on my heart. Next thing I know, why don't you look for a house? Maybe we could go down there now and then. Little did I know I'd end up here eight months out of the year. That's just how God works. I'm telling God, I'm not going down there. I, I'm, I'm good where I'm at. And God said, I have other plans for you. And of course, the day I told pastor I'm coming back, he'd been praying about this for years. I mean, he really has. I know, he, so the day I left, he's like, I'm, I'm praying God brings you back. And he told me about that later. But here I am, I show up. What do you think he does the first day I'm here? Hey, Todd, how you doing? What, how's life been treating you? No, it's like, I need you to teach Sunday school next week. <laughs> God has a plan for all of us. Yeah. So, what happened in Corinth? How, what happened to Paul that, who was going to leave Corinth but God had other plans. I love this. Thus spoke the Lord to Paul in night by a vision. Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace, Paul, for I am with thee. Now watch these next few words. No man shall set on thee to hurt thee. So what do you think was weighing on Paul's mind in Corinth? Thessalonica, Berea, he gets down to Athens. Everything was threatening there was persecution. He saw his own brothers and sisters getting persecuted. He didn't want it anymore. I mean, let's face it. Paul was all for preaching. He, was, he, was, he could take a beating like no other man. But every man has his limits. And Paul probably said, if I stay here in this wicked, vile city, they're going to hang me by my feet, and they're going to kill every Christian. They're not going to put up with this. So Jesus said, I got you, Paul. How'd you like to God come to you and say, I got your back? Well, guess what? He has your back. How do I know that? Because Romans 8, verse 31 says, If God be for us, who can be against us? I just have to take that at face value. No matter what's happening. No man shall set on thee. That's a, 
That's an amazing statement. Jesus, I'm going to protect you. No one's going to hurt you. Well, there's a whole lot, whole study in that. That that itself. I mean, we can read Job and see the hedge of protection around Job. What happened when God removed the protective hedge? So don't ever, as a believer, take the protective hedge of God in his hand on your life for granted. Oftentimes I think, man, God, how in the world am I still alive? <laughs> in my hay wild days, before I knew the Lord, man, I can't believe I'm alive. God had a plan. And he says, I have much people in this city. So God's foreknowledge is I know there's people that are going to they're going to trust me, Paul, that are going to be believers. And that's interesting because when you read the book of Corinthians, sometimes you'll wonder about these people. What in the world is wrong with them? But that's because God loved them despite all the baggage they brought into the church. Amen? So Paul received special protection from physical harm from the Lord, or from, from the people that would persecute him. How long? Now, remember, he was probably wanting to get out of there as soon as possible. God says, you're not going to leave. I'm going to protect you. How long did Paul end up staying in, the, in Corinth? I love it when God just changes our plans like this. He ends up staying for 18 months. And that's found in Acts 18, verse 11. Spent 18 months grounding those Corinthians in the Word of God. Now, he did not write the book of Corinthians while he was in Corinth. He wrote it when he went, to Eph he went back to Ephesus to finish up his journey. And when he was in Ephesus, he got word about factions and divisions and fornication, all kinds of things that were troubling to him. And people had all kinds of questions that he, that want to know about marriage and divorce and want to know about, well, you know, if my brother eats from an idol, worshiping an idol, what does that mean for me? Can I do that? So there were all these questions and Paul stirred up, he ends up writing the longest book of what he was given to write for God by the Holy Spirit. And it ends up being 1 Corinthians chapter 18. By the way, when he was in Corinth, you know what book he wrote? Anybody want to know? Guess? First, there you go, Thessalonians, when he was in Corinth. But he did not write Corinth, Corinthians letter while he was in Corinth. He wrote that in Ephesus. Remember I talked about Aquila and Priscilla. Priscilla. There's a fellow in Acts 19 by the name of Paulus. He's going to end up going as Paul goes to Ephesus, the church now doesn't have its doesn't have a core leader. Every church needs a pastor and a leader. Well, God calls Apollos, but this is what's interesting. Apollos is in Ephesus, but so are Aquila and Priscilla. It's clear to me they followed Paul. When they get there, they end up hearing this guy. Now, this is interesting. He says he was a mighty orator. I mean, he he was mighty in speech, right? Or mighty in scriptures, the Bible says, and fervent in spirit. You know what that means? He was passionate. He was zealous about the Old Testament. And all he knew about was John's baptism. Now, I know a thing or two about fervent in spirit, if you haven't, told, haven't figured that out by now. That's what he, he was zealous for God. He loved to teach the Word of God. He was mighty in the scriptures, the Bible says. But he only knew John's baptism which means he didn't know the revelation of the death, burial, and resurrection and what that meant by grace through faith. He didn't know about the mystery of the church. He didn't know about the Holy Spirit and dwelling believers. He didn't know that. So along come Aquila and Priscilla, and guess what they do? They pull Apollos, they see God's hand on him, and then say, hey, we're going to expound unto you the word of God more 
perfectly. He had understood the Old Testament, man, you're missing out on what you really need and what's God's revelation of truth now. God had, adva- had progressive revelation. Things were opening up over time. God was revealing things. And in this case, they, they ground him in the Word of God. That's why nothing is by coincidence. Wouldn't you like to know all the people that you've had an impact on in your life since you were saved? what they're doing now and what they're doing for the Lord. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of folks that have gone off the wayside. That happens. But how many people out there doing for the Lord that remember you? And you don't have, an, you don't have a clue. But when you get to heaven, you're going to have a clue. You're going to know God's going to bring forth, this is the fruit. This is the gold, silver, and precious stones that we're having because you were faithful in your testimony, your witness, and your love for the Word of God and for me. And so you see Akil and Pril, grounded by Paul, now they're grounding another individual. Wonderful truths. You with me so far? Good on that? I know it's a long journey. We'll get into the book, I promise. There's a lot, though, I want you to get the background first. And we'll have some things here I think you'll find pretty fascinating. So Paul ends up writing the letter in Ephesus. Again, the reports of problems in the church and the questions that require his judgment. And man, we get some good, doc, man, solid, fundamental doctrines, the rapture, the gospels define, the resurrection, uh, you know, marriage and divorce, all that stuff is addressed. So really the problem that existed in the church was getting Corinth out of the Corinthians. I was talking to a young man yesterday and, you know, the Lord's hand is on him. He's excited. He's inviting people. He's out door to door. I mean, this, this boy's on fire for the Lord, but he's like any young man who's come out of the world. He's got a lot of world in him. He's got some strongholds, some struggles. And, I, and I'm telling him, I'm telling you, you're going to look back. If you get victory now, you're going to be so thankful. But if you let that stronghold take hold of you, you're going to have nothing but emptiness and vanity. And you're going you're to wish you had changed. Let God do his work. And God is doing his work. But what God's doing in this young man's life is he's, he's getting Corinth out of this young man. He's pulling, he's, he, as the, I gave him this verse to think about in Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. You know, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your, ooh, reasonable. That's just like the, the bare minimum. And then it says, and be not what? Conformed to this world. That's what the problem is. These people had nothing but the world in them. Be not conformed to this world, but be tra- ye transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. Now God's got to take that mind that's been wrapped up in the world and he's got to change it. That doesn't happen overnight. Now for some people it might. For Paul you see it's clear. There's other Christians in here. I've heard their testimony where God gave them victory. Like Bud Calvert, like, you know, no drinking, no smoking, no cussing. Some people get that. But let's face it, I don't want you to raise your hand, but how many of you didn't get that victory around day one? (laughs) You wanted it. Right? You say, oh man, I want to live for the Lord. But then you found yourself struggling with the flesh. So again, that's what this whole book's about. It's wonderful. So, what's so bad about the city of Corinth? I'm glad you asked. The city of Corinth. Okay, how big was it? 700,000 people. Well, back in that day, remember, the, the population of the world was about 185 million. Remember I did that chart in the days of Jesus? All the way to now, there's 8 billion, and we talk about how sin is much more, it's spread much faster now. Sin was always around, but how it's communicated was more, 
it was like in a bubble. Today it spreads like fire through social media and all that stuff that's out there. But this is a city of about 700,000, not that big. I don't know the population of Benito, but probably that size. It was a cosmopolitan center at, center at that time, city that thrived on, as we would expect, commerce, but entertainment. Here the, the key is vice and corruption. This was the city you went to party. But it wasn't just your regular party. This was massive sexual immorality in this city. I mean, let's put it this way. It's an anything-goes city. And you name it, which I don't want your mind to, to, to flutter too much here, but it's the center of hedonism, which is where pleasure, it's all about pleasure and sensual pleasure. Do whatever you feel like doing. There are no limitations. Now, I started thinking about cities in America aren't much different. Around the world. I went to Amsterdam. Man, they're smoking pot like every five feet in Amsterdam. I went down the side thinking, that's a coffee shop, folks. Coffee shops are not coffee shops in Amsterdam. They're full-blown marijuana dispensary, whatever you want to call There's hundreds, thousands of them. They have a red light. To every city has this. I mean, even around the world, you think. Now, some cities, obviously, are cleaner than others. But I thought about, I'll say, I'll use this as an example. It's an extreme, but Las Vegas. No, I'm not stepping anybody's gone to Las Vegas. I've been to Vegas, I, you know, for business and so forth. But Vegas is not your, this is a lot like Vegas. Vegas isn't anything goes. It's one of the number one tour spot in America. You wonder why. What is it that is so attractive about Vegas? What do they call Vegas? Sin City. It is representative of a city like Corinth. It's anything goes. It's just wild. Let's, let's. Take off the the value or the 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 uh, uh, things of God, and let's just do whatever we want. That's kind of how people live there. Corinthian culture was absence of any values or morals. It was a godless society. Not that other cities weren't like Athens, but this one was unique because it was a port. Now the the what happened is they'd have to go around uh, the countries to get to where they needed to to go into like uh, into uh, Jerusalem and that. So what they would do is they'd come into that port, they would take their ships, and they would actually, they would take the ships over land. They had a way of, of taking those ships, because there wasn't a canal built back then, like the Panama Canal or whatever. They, so they would put them on these tree logs or whatever, and they would move those ships across land, and they would, so they would save a lot of time and money. Okay, but while that was happening, the people on the boats would come into the city of Corinth, and it was anything goes. That's, that's how this city grew. That's how this city became a port for hedonism. It was synonymous with debauchery and prostitution, unlike any other city. And I'll explain that in a minute. And so it's so much so that the reputation is that when you acted a certain way with uh, loose living, you were, it was said you were acting like a Corinthian. That's how bad the reputation of Corinth was. And here's Paul and God says, you're not leaving. By the way, you're not going to leave for 18 months. He probably didn't tell them that. But you're going to stay here because I got people in this city that need to hear who are going to accept. And I'll protect you while you're there. But that's, some people like, man, I don't want to be, I don't want to be called to that city. So, what more can we learn? This would be a 3D modern version of what was known as the Temple of Aphrodite. So, there were these there were 
Acropol, um, help me out here, uh, Acropolis, thank you. And this was called Acro-Corinth. So these were religious centers that stood on top of the city, typically, overlooking the city. It was fortified in many ways. It was a temple, and it was religious. An elite would hang out there as well. But that's kind of what your modern day, that's what it would have looked like, somewhat like that. Back in the day, you had the Temple of Aphrodite, which basically was the goddess of love. Okay, but this isn't like the goddess of love. This is something much more sinister. Um, there were a th this has been verified, I don't know how many times you can read any, any fact check me on any of this, but it was, it was concluded there were a thousand dedicated women prostitutes who served in this temple. And that's why it was called the goddess of love. And that's why their reputation to Corinthianize, or Corinthianize which is this act of sexual immorality. These people would come off the ships, they would head up the hill, which is about 1,800 feet over the city, and they would have their deal, and then they'd go into the city, and they'd get drunk, and they'd party, and, they'd, and it just went on. This is a vicious cycle going on in this city. And yet Paul's preaching the gospel that's separating them from that life. Now, a lot of the Corinthians were living that lifestyle. I mean, how many folks, got before they got saved, were living in sin? So, this was no different back then as it is today. But this was, this was practiced as a religion. Wow, I can't imagine. But that's what Paul was dealing with when you think about him dealing with Acts, or 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and the fornication that was going on. That's what these people knew. But he's like, man, this is not the way you should live as a Christian. So that's, that's a little bit of a background. A couple more slides. This is today. This is a modern picture, actual picture. That, that temple, would Aphrodite would have stood on top of that hill right there. You see that? I'm, I keep the cameras are always over here. So they uh, stood there, so it looked down on the city. Those are, there were like 12 temples, I believe, they worshipped in. But the one that got everybody's attention was the goddess of love, the temple of Aphrodite. And so in 1920, they started excavating the city of Corinth, which, by the way, if you look at any aerial view today, there's, there's excavation sites all over Corinth, and they've left things like this alone. That's one of the things that you'll see in other parts of the world where you have a lot of history. So when they got to excavating, they uncovered a lot, a lot of, uh, idolatrous statues of men and women and men and women together. And they had to, so this is 1920 now, when they got them, they were so graphic, so pornographic, that they had to cover them. Now think about 1920, they would have covered that. Today they'd be on full display to the world. They'd be so proud of that, like what we've discovered, and it's just a human body, it's nature. But that's not, God is, we, you know, he's all about covering and you see that when they discovered that, they were even embarrassed in the 20s of what they discovered of how graphic the statues were back in the day. And that's just one of those excavation sites that uh, reminds me of that. Let's see. Yep, we're done. So that's the journey. Next week, I'll give you a little aerial video of Corinth, and then we're going to get in starting with chapter 1. Verse 1, and we're going deep, and we're going to go, it's going to get interesting. There's a lot of good doctrine, a lot of truth that you're going to hear about. 
I think you're going to, I really, I believe God's going to help feed us and encourage us through this, this study. So with that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. And Father, we thank you again that we can be gathered together as your people. Thank you for encouraging us, helping us to learn about the things of God and the things that you've done. We know it's your hand and we're grateful for it. Not only as we read the book of Corinthians and how things unfolded and how you started this church, but in our own lives and what you're doing and have done in our lives. We thank you for that. Help us, Lord, to be a people that are looking to you to give everything we have and yielding ourselves to you for your glory and your honors. I pray your blessings now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.